1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means it is rare that i've had a guest on the show more than once but i am so excited today to welcome back mark coleman because mark and i I think it was probably the first season of my podcast had an amazing incredible conversation i remember because it was around memorial day because we did a memorial day meditation i released it on memorial day Uh, but mark is back today and mark's journey with meditation began in his late teens in london as a punk rocker he was drawn to the peace and clarity it brought This path took him to India and the US, immersing in long retreats with renowned teachers in the insight meditation, including Christopher Titmus, Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and Sharon Salzberg, and later exploring Tibetan traditions of meditation. But it was meditating in nature that captured Mark's heart. When he moved to the US, he fell for the vast landscapes of the Rockies, Sierras, and the deserts of the Southwest. An unabashed nature lover, he sensed nature as the perfect temple for mindfulness and began integrating meditation and nature as a path of practice for himself and later teaching to others. He realized the joy, peace, wisdom, and freedom taught in Buddhism was accessible meditating outdoors. This led Mark to found Awake in the Wild, an organization dedicated to sharing the transformational power of meditation in nature. Through this initiative, he has led silent wilderness meditation retreats in California, Colorado, Alaska, Mexico, Peru, and New Mexico, taking people on inner and outdoor adventures that combine meditation with the awe-inspiring beauty and profundity of nature. Mark's new book, A Field Guide to Nature, is out now. Welcome, Mark.
1: Thank you, Amy. Great to be back with you on your, on your on your show.
2: I could really, really use your help. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to my season five opener, go back and listen to that. But in the event that you don't, I need your support. If you've been listening to me for a while, or even if you just started, You can go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. And there you can find different levels in which you can support the podcast financially. At this point, I have no ads. I have no um, sponsors. I am solely self-funding this podcast. And it would really, really help me out if you've gotten something out of this podcast, if you could donate $5, $10, or even $20 a month just to help me out, to help support the podcast. I'm continuing to work to try to get sponsors, to try to get advertisers. But until that happens, I need your help. And there are other ways to support the podcast. In addition to Patreon, you can like the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. I always love reading your reviews. They're really heartwarming to me. And it's the emotional currency that I get from providing you with this resource. So uh, please, please take a moment to just help me out here. You can also find the links in this um episode in the episode notes as well as on my website at dramyrobins.com and don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy robbins Great to have you back as I look at you with this beautiful picturesque nature behind you and I'm sitting in a, my son's bedroom with his sports paraphernalia. But Chicago versus California, I guess that's what we get. So I love this book. I read the book. I'm downloading the audible version uh, as soon as I can really get back out into nature, but you don't even need it to be out in nature. Um, Tell us about what meditating in nature is. It can be so much easier than just sitting in a meditation. What is it about nature that can bring us right into presence?
1: yeah yeah it's a great question so I think for most of us when we go outside you know whether it's to our garden or a park or along where you are the Lakeshore or into the woods or in long farmers fields or whatever nature the natural world has a has a way of just calling us inviting us into the present you know we go outside because it's beautiful, it's spacious, there's so much color and life and movement and beauty and dynamism. And so when we uh, when we're trying to meditate, when we're trying to cultivate mindfulness, be present, you know, we usually do that with our eyes closed, you know, maybe in our bedroom or in some room in our house. And it's challenging because mostly we spend our time thinking, worrying, planning, ruminating. And that's what we struggle with in, in the meditation, is we, we get, we're just constantly lost in thought. When we go outside, what's happening is it, there's so much drawing us into the present, right? The sounds of birds, the movement of the leaves in the trees, the, the smell of the fresh air, the, the cloudscapes, the, the dew on the grass, the, the animals, or, you know, there's just so much life Mm-hmm. And that naturally draws us into the present. We don't have to try to be focused on the lake. You look at the lake because it's beautiful. You look at the, the, the glassiness of the water. You look at the ripples. You look at the birds skimming the surface. And so, so if we take the word meditation away and just talk about being present and being mindful, when we're outside, we it's as if we're meditating or let say being mindful quite effortlessly we just walk and we, we we come into the present and of course we might worry and think and plan and do all the things that we do mentally but it's that our thoughts are so much more in the background because because what happens when we go outside our senses wake up and our sensory connection wakes up and we come into this world that's mostly beautiful and interesting and and it invites curiosity which Calls us more into the present, and so it's a very what I like to say it's an easeful, relaxed, natural way of being aware, which is being mindful, which is what's happening in meditation. So it's so it's both easeful and it's also joyful. So it's a pleasure to like. I often joke like I was teaching this week along on the on the cliffs here and the Pacific mm-hmm. Coast. Beautiful spring day. The California California poppies were out. It was beautiful surf blue sky and I and I make the joke why wouldn't you want to be present why wouldn't you want to be mindful in this moment because it's beautiful right when I'm in my basement and I'm you know it's a cold winter day and I'm you know meditating and struggling with my own thoughts it's not that inviting to be present to but when we're outside it's like it's a joy and an ease
2: Gosh, I have so many thoughts going through my head starting with as you were speaking when I stepped out of my house this morning to to walk. Um the birds were I think maybe I was just sort of heightened because I knew we were doing this interview today and I had just read through the book. I I really did notice in a different way like the feeling of the cold on my skin. And right. and how it actually normally, I've I've been working very hard to try to resist my distaste for the cold. Uh-huh. Living in Chicago, so that Good. was sort of like my goal for 2023 Good. was like don't Good hate you. the winter so much. <laughs> but but the aliveness that that like that you feel yeah. in the cold is something. And someone said this to me once. They said, "I love I love the winter because I feel more alive." Mm. And I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. Maybe I could reframe how I see winter. So I'm trying to be more mindful of that. But also like the birds chirping was like this beautiful song. And I was thinking, okay, great. Spring's coming, right? The birds are chirping, spring's coming. And it just set such a different mood for my, for how I started my day. And I was like, I should do this more often. And then I was like, but it's cold. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Well, you've got to have the right clothes. You gotta right. bundle up like hell, especially if you're in, in the Midwest Chicago in the winter and there's wind chill and all of that. And yeah, bundle up as much as you can and then you know go out for short periods. And but as you say, when we do go out, it, it is refreshing. It's stimulating, that cold breeze against the skin, and then the sound of birds. You know, our heart feels warm because like, oh, the birds are coming back. That's the first sign of spring. Or I might notice the the buds on the trees just growing a little bit or the snow starting to melt. Or there's so many things or sometimes it's cold, but it's a blue, sunny day. And and that's very enlivening, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and and, you know, we're creatures of pleasure. We're pleasure seekers. And so there's so much pleasure that we can feel outside even when it's cold. And and that and the pleasure draws us into the present, and and so that's why nature is such a such a powerful imitation because it's there's so much joy to be had.
2: So that gets me thinking. This isn't a question I had, but what is your take on the joy of sunsets? Because this is something to me that's so fascinating. Is like wherever you go in the world people seem obsessed with watching the sunset right like restaurants charge extra to have a table where you can see the sunset and people gather for the sunset and they clap when the sun sets and this is something that happens every single day right. all over the world and yet every single time people want to witness it
1: yeah yeah. Well, what you're speaking to is something very ancient and primal. Right. We w- as a species, we lived in nature right without buildings, without houses for hundreds of thousands of years. And so can you imagine that that intimacy with the cycles? You know, we were really tracking the cycle of the moon, the phases of the moon. We were you know, we would wake up with the sunrise. We would go to sleep with the sunset. Um, and we would track the seasons and the migrating birds. and so so it's it's so in, instilled in our DNA to track nature, because that's how we survive, right? without tracking nature, you die if you don't if you're not aware of the coming winter and you're not preparing, you'll die. And so, um, and and so I think the sun as you point to, for me, it's the sunrise because I see sunrise from my house. Mm and i get up early anyway just because i do and and i actually started leading a sunrise meditation during the pandemic because i knew a lot of people couldn't leave their houses (laughs) and i could see sunrise from my house so so my orientation is sunrise but as you say for many it's sunset because i guess a lot of people aren't up for sunrise (laughs) and and there's something and i it's a question i often ask myself is why do we why do we experience it as beautiful right Mm -hmm you know, the, the the sun's going down, it gets more red, orange, whatever. Clouds get red, but there's a way that we, it's not just an experience that we notice, but something in touches, touches us. That's beautiful. And it's, as you say, it's a universal experience. And I think there's something both mysterious about that, but it's also beautifully connecting. Like you could be sitting in a restaurant and people could have extremely different political views but they all love the sunset right? mm-hmm. extremely different cultures, conditioning, financial status, class, whatever, you know, but there's like, oh, right. There's this human, common humanity that we live on this earth and we appreciate the things of this earth. And, and there's something very beautiful about about we can come together and nature's a way of, of sensing our common humanity.
2: Hmm. And how do you, you have so many different methods and means to use nature to connect us. Can you walk us through a bit about how you bring people to those places of connection? I mean, the book is broken down in these great, you know, kind of not chap. I mean, there's chapters, obviously, but like little yeah. genres, I guess, of yeah. sensory and right. seasons and, That's- you know, cycles and everything so can you talk a little about that
1: yeah yeah so the intention for the book the field guide to nature meditation was you know i've been teaching this work for 20 some years i've been doing it for probably 30 years myself and um and i wanted to give people a guide of how do you do this how do you go outside and meditate how do you go outside and be mindful how can you use your see your time out in nature as part of your spiritual practice whatever your spiritual tradition is being out in nature with mindfulness with awareness is a spiritual practice you know regardless of your faith you know It's, it's the original church temple and in my book and so um so so there's a lot of different practices that you can choose from depending on where you are depending on the environment depending on the season depending on How much time you have depending on whether you want to sit down or whether you want to stroll or whether you want to lie down Um, and so uh and and so what i do when i bring people outside and and there's sort of a i can sort of condense all of those many many practices in into you know a few kind of essential principles and one of them is whenever you go outside whether it's to your garden or a park or woodland Um, the first thing I invite people to do is to arrive. And what I mean by that, of course, we've already arrived in the park, say, but we've got bodies there, but it takes time to, to really, to, to feel into a landscape, to, to, to be, you know, just like you go to a park and you sit on the, on the park bench and then you just close your eyes for a moment and you just notice the sounds, you notice the, the sounds of the rippling leaves or the squirrels chuckling or the birds chattering or the kids playing in the playground. And then you notice the smells, right? We rarely notice smells. So you take a moment to breathe or you notice your breath and notice, Oh, the, the park smells very woody today. Cause we've had lots of rain and I can smell the humus of the earth or, um, or you just take a moment to look around and let your attention, attuned to the canopy and the grasses and the sky. And, and so, so that arriving practice is just, we're sort of begin, we slow down, we get, we come into our senses, right? So we be curious about what's, what we're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Um, and, and then we try to let go of the, of the, the thinking mind. That's always busy labeling and analyzing and so we might look at a tree and we go, oh, that's an oak tree. And then we stop looking at it because we've identified it. But we haven't actually got to know that oak tree. We've just labeled it. What's it like to then drop the label and go, oh, what, is, what is this oak tree that's got this very wide girth, that has a broken limb, that's half in leaf and half not, that's got these thick roots stretching into the earth, that's a, that's a different color gray than the one behind it and so we, we we bring an intimacy and a curiosity um and then and then there's a lot of different ways we can interface with nature we can one of my favorite practices and there's a there's a whole bunch of them in the book meandering meandering is is a way we just in what in England we call bimbling where we just wander through a landscape without any direction and just letting the body attune to whether it might be beauty or to smells or to be curious about what you can touch um, or to what's, what's growing or what's decaying. Um, and then or you might do some standing meditations where you stand against a tree, leaning against a tree, facing a tree. Um, Or you do a lying meditation where it's, you know, it's summer, it's warm, like it's grass and you lie down and you let yourself sort of feel the earth on your back body and dissolve, you know, and just relax, melt into the earth. And there's so many ways to um, be in a landscape, move in a landscape. And then I, I, then some of the practices I isolate, you do a seeing meditation where all you do is gazing at the landscape, noticing all the colors and the forms and the movements or you close your eyes and do a listening meditation. Maybe you're by a stream or you're by a waterfall or the, or the ocean and you just, oh, it's a windy day and you're just listening to sound. So there's just so many avenues to connect with nature and then to deepen that awareness, deepen the sensitivity.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. I mean, I'm like when's your next retreat and how can I sign <laughs> up for, for it? It yeah. just it sounds I mean, nature is I think one of our greatest healers and we're hearing more and more how important it is. But you're just pointing out like I almost think it's just just the bringing you into the present moment could be enough. Yeah. And yeah. we would be much better off them where we are today in terms yeah. of healing
1: yeah I mean my main advice to people at the end of anything that I teach is is, is two words but I say it a few times, I say go outside go outside go outside and that might be this and you know like I live in a sort of a mixed sort of suburban neighborhood I'm on the edge of you not know, far from San Francisco and just walking around the neighborhood you know there's trees There's bushes, there's neighbors, gardens, there's flowers, there's birds coming. There's, there's always sky. There's always, you know, sunlight, clouds, stars. So anytime we go outside, we usually come more into the present, right? We, when we're indoors, we tend to think more, ruminate more. And it's all about me, myself, and I, my life and my problems and my whatever. We go outside, we go, oh. Oh, it's spring, I'd forgotten it was spring. Or it's, you know, late winter. Oh, it's, um, you know, the, the moon is crescent moon right now. Oh, and I noticed the, 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 the starlings have migrated back from wherever they come from in the winter. And, 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 oh, and there's little blossoms coming up, or there's, you know, the crocuses and the daffodils. It, it kind of wakes us up. It brings us into the present, brings us into our senses. And usually when we, when we forget about ourselves, or, or ourselves and our problems and our dramas are in the background, we tend to feel better. We tend to feel less stress. And, and the research shows, as you pointed to, heart rate goes down, cortisol level goes down, stress levels go down, uh, well-being, happiness levels go up. Like it's very clear. And so that's why I say go outside, even if it's just down your street. And you're looking at the light from the sun on the buildings or on the occasional tree um, or you're noticing grasses in the in the sidewalk like is there's something very um connecting engaging and when we're in the present you know our stress levels tend to lower and we feel more connected and again we, we tend to especially during the during the pandemic and now post pandemic the there's so much isolation happened so much separation Mm. and going outside we feel more connected maybe you say hello to a neighbor maybe you see a bird that you like i've i'm looking at this crow there's a a a pair of crows that build a nest every year in the in this oak tree outside my house and they're building the nest right now i go Mm. outside like oh there's there there they are they're back again raising their young Mm. and it just connects me with with these with a you know cycles of life that just it warms my heart you know just just like as you said like looking at the sunset there's something engaging and heartwarming about it
2: so you you started mentioning the cycles of life and this podcast is called life death um and the space between so as you know death you and i have talked before that death is a topic that i enjoy talking about because I think it brings people closer to life but how does nature help us get more comfortable with that death
1: yeah so I I teach and point to this a lot in in my nature retreats and programs you can't go anywhere outside you can't look at anything in nature and not see the cycle of birth of growth generation flourishing decay Disintegration, death, transformation, renewal, birth, growth, flourishing, decay, death. Like, you know, you, you look at even even the most pristine, grassy lawn, right? There's there's green grasses, there's fresh grasses, and there's something decaying, right? You look at a tree like this tree behind me. It's a beautiful, healthy mm-hmm. oak tree. But there's, you know, you can see the there's there's gashes in, in the trunk, and there's you know, there's, there's dead limbs and there's decaying leaves mm-hmm. and, and everywhere you go in nature, you'll see things that are growing, things that are dying. You walk through the forest. I walk through the redwood forest here where I live. Beautiful trees have been around for a thousand, two thousand years, and there's trees fallen down that have been on the ground for two, three, 500 years. They, t- they're slow to disintegrate the redwoods. And so you see this beautiful, and then you see the saplings growing. Mm. Um, and you see these great giants, like in these big storms, we've had some of these big giants just thunder to the ground. Sometimes I hear them when I'm walking They're crashing and, and it reminds us nature reminds us that that cycle of growth, flourishing, decay, and death and rebirth of regrowth and death is natural. And it's part of everything. And it, it, it normalizes it. Mm-hmm. um and it reminds us oh this is life life is life living is growing and and aging and dying and 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 what I love about nature in, in in when I when someone says oh that's a dead tree I say well it's no longer growing but the often the the trees that we call dead they actually harbor more life than when they're living mm. insects woodpecker nests squirrels nests uh, mycelium uh, all kinds of life are happening and i love walking through a forest like i I teach in new mexico northern new mexico and i walk through these ponderosa groves and there's these these ponderosa trees that have been lying on the ground for probably 100 years 200 years and all you can see of the tree is a line of like sawdust like Mm. like like the the bark has disintegrated so there's just a line of this reddish bark in the soil, there was a tree that's now dissolved into it's becoming the soil that will soon become grasses and flowers and then a new ponderosa tree. So you get to see also that, that the, the dead tree is actually not dead. It's just becoming a, the, the food for new life. Mm. And then sometimes also there's a, there's a tree that I have loved. I've been teaching this place for 20 years, going there for 30 years. It's this old Ponderosa it's dead. We call dead, but it's been, it's standing. It's been standing for 30 years and it's gnarled and it's pockmarked and there's limbs falling off and it's beautiful and I love it. And I stare at it, it's a right facing this lodge. I teach in and, and nature teaches us that death is also beautiful. It's mm-hmm. natural. Isn't, there's, a, there's a grace to it. There's a dignity to it. There's a naturalness to it. There's a rightness to it. And that something that communicates something to us that, oh, right. This is not a, it's not a problem. It's not an aberration. It's just, that's what happens. We get old, we get sick and we die. And that's, so it, it I think it settles something in our nor- nervous system and normalizes something our medical system can see as a problem or as a mistake.
2: Well and I think you know I'm just thinking as you're talking we took our kids on vacation of a lifetime this Christmas to the Galapagos Islands.
1: Oh and
2: nice. and part of it is I want them to experience more nature cuz I I always say they're they're city mice. Um <laughs> and so they're not super well versed in how nature works. Um and There were lots of dead sea lions, baby Uh sea lions that were, would be laying on the rocks and, you know, myself included. And my kids would say, Oh, that's so sad. And Uh the guide's response was it's just nature. Like there was Uh no, you know, and, and they would say, well, what happened? And, and oftentimes they would say, well, you know, Maybe they were sick or there was not enough food or the mom couldn't get back quick enough or whatever it was. But it's so interesting how as we as a society, I think, have gotten further and further away of from nature and from, you know, most people aren't farmers anymore. They're not, you know, dealing with those cycles of life that happen all the time. Right. Right. We are we are more fearful of that death in a way that I think when you see it every single day as part of the landscape of of life, really like death sustains life. What you're saying in right. so many yes. and you know right if if there was no death, animals couldn't live, they couldn't eat, they right. couldn't survive. So, right. Um, but the further we get away from that, the harder it is to remember that that is our natural. State really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I teach these kayaking uh, meditation retreats oh my in God, ba- I'm
2: so coming to one of your retreats. I, <laughs> I, do. I gotta, there's so many things I want to do, I gotta figure out how to do them, but
1: <laughs> right one of these, one of these on days. The right. One of these days. So I do these kayaking retreats down in Sea of Cortez in Me- Baja Mexico, and and you were paddling along the shoreline, and the shoreline usually craggy, rocky is just, it's a graveyard of crab bones, fish bones, seabird bones, skeletons, um, starfish washed up. And it's this, and they're, and they're sometimes colorful, sometimes bleached by the sun. And it's just, and it's just, as you say, it's just, oh, it's just nature, it's what happens. You know, this, the sea is abundant with fish and crabs and and they live. And then they get old or they get sick and they die or they get they get eaten. Seagulls grab them and throw them on the rocks. And that's and it's it's natural. And and it's and as you say, yeah, when we live in the city, we don't see death, we don't see decay. But when we're in nature, we, we come across gulls, we come across carcasses of elk or deer or whatever it might be. And and it's like, oh yeah, right. That's what happens in the wild. There's mm-hmm. there's life and there's death. And as you say, how could the the wolves or the coyotes or whatever it is, how would they survive if they weren't able to, you know, kill and 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 continue that cycle? And so it's something very sobering and 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 right and and natural about it that that's really healthy for us to to experience.
2: Well, and I think in the city too, like. The only time i see death is like a rat hit by a garbage truck right Right. which is kind of sadly i root for that sometimes given the rat infestation which is terrible to say but you know it's it doesn't feel natural in that way Mm -hmm. whereas in nature in a more natural setting it feels more natural like this still feels like up got hit by you know society
1: right (laughs) Right. It wasn't quite exactly part of the natural ecosystem.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone scoops it up, right, and dumps it into, like, a trash bin versus, like, the process of an animal coming to eat it or whatever it is.
1: Right. Watch it decay.
0: Yeah.
2: -hmm. yeah. Um, How can we appreciate nature without this dichotomy uh, around what are we doing to our planet?
1: The more we go out into nature the more we appreciate it. The more we appreciate it, the more we tend to love and care for it. And the more we want to take care of it, steward it, protect it, right? If we, for example, if, you know, maybe you live on the edge of town and there's, you know, maybe some farmland, maybe some mixed woodland. And, you know, as as urban sprawl happens, that particular farm you know, gets bought up by developers uh, or, or wants to be, and they want to put a new mall, you know, or a new sub development. If we just read that in the newspaper, like, oh, they're going to expand the town into this area, we'll just like, Oh, well, you know, we need the housing. It's, you know, that's what that's so fine. But if we, if we live next to that farm and we've got to know those, those old, you know, you know, cedars and or, or poplars or the, or the, the maples or the, the waterfowl that come and hang out in the pond in winter or whatever it is, we we will care for it and we will love it and we want to protect it. But it's like, no, we don't need more malls. We don't need to build a, over this beautiful farmland and concrete over it. No, we need to protect the trees and the farm and the land and and so so my work is driven by this 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 sentiment we protect what we love. Mm-hmm. And we we will fight and and care for what we love and we'll take care of it and so so the more that we go out into nature uh and, and appreciate it love it then we then we will care about what's happening we'll care about the the all you know the ways that we're polluting the rainforest with drilling and mining and oil exploration or we'll The way we're damaging the 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 coral reefs because of the the rising sea temperatures or you know wherever wherever we're seeing the earth being hurt or where species are being threatened if we have an alive connected real visceral relationship with nature then we feel it we feel like oh my god we're harming ourselves like the the earth is not some thing not some pretty thing over there it's 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 our life it's our home it's our it's our family. And so, and just as if someone was harming your own family, you would be very fierce in protecting and caring when we love and care for the earth, when we, when we love the earth and appreciate it. Yeah. We want to do something about it. You know, we want to, you know, like, um, i was just reading about Salt Lake, the Salt Lake, the, the Salt Lake by Salt Lake City. That's that's draining. It's gone down, I think, 70 percent. It's a risk of actually disappearing in 20 years. That whole vast swathe of beautiful salt lakes that are that, that home, that 10 million birds migrate through the salt lakes, right? Those if that lake dries up. Those 10 million birds might die because they need that stopover between wherever they're flying from Mexico, probably up to Alaska or wherever the, the journey is or to Canada. And so when we know that it's like, oh, if 10 million, but you know, maybe you're a bird lover or maybe you're not, but you love, you know, that there used to be a hundred thousand swans on that lake. And my fr- friend of a friend who was there recently saw seven, you know, like the, the numbers are precipitously falling. And when we get that, it's like, oh, Yes, we need water for houses and agriculture. And if we don't have water for wildlife and the rivers and the salmon and the birds, we're gonna live in a world without species. And we can't survive in a world without species. We need complex diversity. The science shows that in when there's more diversity of life, whether it's forests, plants, animals, birds, fish, then life is more abundant. The less Diverse, the less species, the more life struggles. That's why we have the, the you know, the Dust Bowl crisis in the '30s because we have these monoculture crops taking over the prairies. So, so to your question, um, yeah, the so, the, and then the paradox is, uh, you know, when we love the earth, when we care about it, we want to protect it, and we also feel the pain and the grief around the loss. Of species the loss of wildlife the loss of coral reefs the loss of you name it that in what ecosystem or or species is not under some kind of threat and so you know it very much pertains to your work around grief and loss that as as our heart opens to caring and loving the earth we also have to be courageous enough to feel the sadness, to feel the grief, to feel the loss, to feel the pain, to feel grief. Like as not a day goes by, I don't feel some twinge or sometimes some heartbreak or some tears or some outrage about what's happening to this beautiful earth and the beautiful species that are under threat. Um, but it's just like, as you, and you talk about in your work around grieving, just as important to grieve the loss of a loved one, it's also important that we grieve the loss of maybe a, a particular, you know, meadow we used to go to as kids. Like so many, for so many of us, the places we played, like places, the forests I played in in kids, they're now, they're now developments. The farms I played in, mm-hmm. they're, they're urban sprawl. And so we have to grieve and that grieving's part of the healing and also part of not numbing and the part of helping us actually at some point engage. So we don't keep doing this destruction that we seem hell bent on doing.
2: Yeah, it's and I guess as you're talking, part of me was feeling a little bit hopeless. Hmm. um because it's like well what am what am I gonna do me little hmm. me right like I think a lot of people have that feeling like this hmm. this feels insurmountable when hmm. you know a, I mean I had it here we had there was a house behind me I live on an alley which is not very beautiful but there was this big beautiful tree in this backyard that had probably been there for a hundred years Last years. I mean, it was so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I could see it as I looked out my back. Mm-hmm. And a developer came in, mm-hmm. stopped it down and mm-hmm. built a condo. Yeah. That is not beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about the stairs and the mm-hmm. garage of this condo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know you you feel helpless in those situations because it's like they don't care about the big beautiful tree they care about you know can they maximize the space Uh to make as much money as they possibly can Uh and where's the balance i'm not like anti-capitalism but where's the balance in all of this between you know finding that preservation of of natural beauty Uh um and coming up against that like corporate capitalist
1: yeah Yeah, no it's definitely these are you know if you care about the earth and you care about land and you care about people who are disenfranchised and you care about indigenous communities whose lands getting taken over for oil and coal and mineral extraction all of that it's hard these are hard times to be mindful of that to be aware of that and there's also amazing amazing things happening you know, there's amazing, there's so many indigenous communities, tribes, whether it's in the Amazon or in Indonesia, who are becoming, you know, who are getting resources and learning how to defend and protect their lands and the rainforest. You know, just chatting with a friend about um, uh, Doug Tompkins, who used to was a clothing, he ran Esprit, the clothing company,
2: mm-hmm.
1: sold it. Made a bunch of money, and he moved to part time to, to to Chile and Argentina, and he started buying massive tracts of land. And this was in the Pinochet era, where land was extremely cheap. He was he bought he bought I think tens of millions of acres, like tens of, of pristine mountains, lakes, valleys, wilderness like pristine wilderness. And initially there was pushback because like, who's this gringo coming down, buying all our land. Mm. And he donated it to the Chilean government, Argentinian government. And I think that the, 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 Tompkins foundation, they've helped create like about 30 national parks in Chile and Argentina mm. one person with a vision who brought in, of course, other people engaged local communities and governments, and they've preserved like tens of millions of acres of this beautiful wildlife, mountains, rivers. And so we also have to look at what is happening that's positive, what -hmm. what is happening that people are doing that's constructive. Yes, there's destruction and there's sprawl and there's species loss and there's millions of organizations and hundreds of millions of people who are every day you know, protecting their watershed, they're restoring the wetlands, they're trying to undam the dams and protect the salmon and, you know, help the, the corridors for the monarch butterflies. So they have a healthier route and stopping, you know, a friend who won a lawsuit uh, proving to the EPA that glyphosates, which are Roundup, which has destroyed so much soil and, and waterways, they finally got the EPA to rule that it was carcinogenic and that it's going to be illegal to use it, which means it's going to allow some restoration of soil health and allow pollinators and bees and birds and rivers to not be so polluted. So we really have to look at the good news and there's. Tons of good news. We don't hear about the good news because our media reports on all the, you know, the latest coral reef bleach, the latest species loss, the latest, you know, mm-hmm. urban or, you know, ecological crisis. But there are so many heartwarming positive, you know, young people, you know, becoming farmers, renewing the soil and stewarding the land and, and, and taking better care of animals and, you know, just endless any way you look there's people and organizations doing good work and so the, there's this uh, there's a phrase action eats anxiety and so if you're feeling anxious despair hopeless the invitation is find something you care about it might be birds it might be farms it might be butterflies it might be rivers it might be the oceans and marine animals Find an organization, find people that care about what you do, get involved Mm -hmm. and and feel like and and see how you can make a difference in in a small way.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then there's, if you think about the, I think it's at least hundreds of millions of people around the world who love the earth, who care about the earth. And you think about, oh, we do make a difference together. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Collectively, we make a difference. Individually, it's very, very small. You know, I plant Mm -hmm flowers so I can attract butterflies and pollinators that helps maybe three butterflies in my neighborhood have enough nectar so they can reproduce or fly to their homeland whatever three butterflies well it's Mm -hmm. better than no butterflies right right so and if each one of us did that that's a lot of butterflies or a lot of bees or a lot of pollinators or a lot of whatever it is that we're protecting
2: you're making me want to get out plant more just like be conscious of what i can do even in in a city
1: yeah there's yeah a there's a, i have a student who has she lives in denver and she's an environmentalist and she turned her garden into a native garden which doesn't look as pretty as like you know all these all these you know foreign species we normally plant our gardens with, but she said as soon as you planted the, the native species, then the, the, the more insects came and with more insects, more birds came, more butterflies came. And then if you have enough peop- people doing that in a big urban sprawl like Chicago or Denver, then the, the insects and the birds and the bees, they can navigate through this big concrete sprawl because there's actually enough pollen, enough things for them, enough food. Right. And so that, that does actually make a difference, you know?
2: So one other question, um, you talk about how you don't have to actually be outdoors to meditate on the outdoors. So for people who don't, for whatever reason, aren't in maybe a safe neighborhood where they can be outdoors or, um, you know, are working jobs that they get in their car they drive to work they get in their car Mm -hmm. they drive home and then they have to how can we bring nature to us when we can't step out to nature
1: yeah yeah no thanks for that It's it's an important question and i had someone on my retreat the other day and it's been cold here and it's been quite stormy and raining she oh, says oh, I,
2: colds I, I, colds
1: California cold which is <laughs> right. like wimpy cold right. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a mild day for you right because exactly it was probably,
2: today today <laughs> right. is your cold
1: it it's was like probably 40. like <laughs> right it was probably 45 but it was it was pouring rain and so there's a there's a couple of meditations in the book and one of them is meditating by a window right mm-hmm. and so Um, you know, like in your house, if you can try to find a window or a door, she sat by an open door, a back door, I think. And where you have some view of something natural, it might be the sky, might be a sliver of sky, might be clouds, it might be a tree that's, you know, across the street in someone's garden, like you used to have, um, and, and, and then it's just, just let your attention just, just, just relax your body and then just gaze at the, you know, at the. Or whatever you can see that's 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 natural you know so i teach this with people in like i was teaching these folks for the new york times actually in their offices uh they're down there in manhattan somewhere midtown you know urban they're like
2: straining their right. back so like, oh, right. see?
1: but they did have a conference room and they did have some windows and there's actually a lot of um trees that people plant on, on their rooftops in new york and there's always there's usually always sky You know sky clouds blue whatever it is blue gray doesn't matter and just having just having some space you know some you know some distance um and 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 paying attention to anything that's natural or you do what i do is i there's a this is this is an orchid that i keep rescuing and it keeps flowering um or you bring plants in and you just gaze at your plant you know plants are beautiful and even looking when i look at this orchid uh, whether it's the leaves or the flowers for you know a minute five minutes this there's something about nature that anything that's natural right when you look at that can you see that that orchid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: if
1: you look at that versus you look at this
2: (laughs) he's holding up glasses for people who can't see they're not quite (laughs) as beautiful
1: it's different. I mean, the right. glasses are okay, but there's something again, it's going back to this thing that we grew. maybe, we maybe didn't grow up in nature by with orchids, but something in our DNA recognizing, oh, that's there's something like the smallest thing in nature can remind us of the natural world, which could be a leaf, a flower, a glimpse of sky, a tree out your window, a window box, or even just you open the door and you're listening to the sound of rain or hail, Mm -hmm. there's something or even just feeling the fresh air, even if it's cold, there's something about that that connects us with something greater than ourselves, greater than our urban life. And um, and so just, you know, sit by a window and just I do this a lot. I have a window, I have a view of trees and water and sky. And I just gaze a lot, you know, like maybe between meetings, maybe do a lot of zoom meetings, So in between zoom meetings, rather than jump on your phone, just take five minutes and just gaze out for the, the furthest thing you can see, you know, or open a window and listen. If there's sounds of birds or, um, or wind or rain, um, and, and just that can be very, very nourishing, you know, or get a plant and stick it on your desk. And enjoy. You know, I love tending to plants. There's also something beautiful about gardening and tending, and bringing things to life. Get some seeds and watch how this miracle of life of a seed becomes, you know, a little budding tomato plant. Or you know, there's something lovely about that sunflower. You know.
2: So, So. I lied. My last question is: How do we incorporate? Because you have this book on Audible, which you said is recommended because you can do the med you talk through the meditation right Yeah, i guide them Yeah. how do you um recommend using your guided meditations into being in nature because obviously if we're on our phone we're not in nature it's the yeah paradox of yeah. life
1: sure yeah no definitely so yeah so so two of my books are on audible. Um, this one, the nature field guide to nature meditation. And so what I recommend is you, you, you know, download it to your phone, put your headphones on, go out onto your balcony deck, go into your garden, go into a park, go anywhere. There's nature around, um, further afield, the better, and then find somewhere comfortable to sit or take a folding chair or a cushion or something, or lean up against a tree, um, or sit on a bench or rock and then just list. put on one of the meditations that attracts you it might be listening meditation it might be gazing at the sky it might be me or you might you might do it meandering and you do a meandering with beauty or meandering with joy and you just you know hear the instructions and then once you've heard enough you can you know turn them off and just and then just meditate with, with without the guidance or you can just fully use the guidance the whole time mm. but it's, it's a very nice way to immerse yourself with guidance outside
2: well mark another great interview so thank you um, if people want to find out about your retreats what you're offering this book your previous books tell us where where they can find out
1: yeah so i have two main websites my 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 name's a mark so mark that's mark with a k Coleman with an E, uh, Coleman Marcombe.org. Um, and that has my, you know, books and, and lots of free resources, meditations, talks. tons of
2: free meditations on there too, yeah, I saw lots today. lots of them, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so get those, listen to those. There's my schedule. Um, and then I have another um, uh, website, an organization called awakeinthewild.com. And that has information about my nature retreats, and actually both websites have information about my nature retreats. I also do, I'm mostly doing teacher training these days. So I run mindfulness teacher trainings in the U S in Bay area and in Europe, France, and I, I run Awake in the wild nature, meditation, teacher trainings in the U S and in Europe. Um, so you can get information about those. Um, I'm on a bunch of apps. I just got on to put a nature meditation series on to the Waking Up app, which is a great meditation app. And I have a course coming up. If people are interested, I've got a six week course starting in April, it's called Mindfulness Based Nature Experience. And it's an an evening class that's on Zoom but the idea what well, it's, it's an afternoon evening class the idea is you hopefully can be outside while you're taking the class and so I'm guiding you sort of indoor outdoor
2: will this um, be evergreen because this probably won't air until after your class oh will you, yes
1: you, so I have a lot of evergreen classes if you go to mark I have uh, quite a few nature meditation evergreen courses you can do yeah
2: Wow, lots of resources. Thank you.
1: Resources, yeah. Yeah, I
2: just noticed you had all those meditations, so I'm definitely gonna gonna be my new morning uh, guru.
1: Great, great, good, and hopefully you get to be outside when it's warm enough and yeah, sunny. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it is, and I I've got a pretty decent amount of trees outside my windows. Nice, so, nice. Um, and I see there. It's interesting because um, this one right in front of me right now. It still has leaves on it from the fall, but then the new buds start to bloom and the dead leaves don't seem to totally fall off until the new blooms have come, which is interesting because it's like, is it dead? Is it not dead? Did it go dormant? Like what happened? And it's a surprise. So (laughs)
1: um,
2: thank you for making me more conscious and aware of just being out, you know, and and trying when I am out to be more present to what is happening, because I think it's, so often I even I'm like rushing from one thing to another. And I think that this will really make me pause a little bit more and think about what exactly I, it is I'm seeing and feeling and experiencing. So
0: mm, great.
2: thanks Mark. Great. And I'll be ready for book number three. So let me know, or maybe it's more than book number three, but we've only done two interviews <laughs> on your books. So when the next one comes out, um, okay. I'd love to have you back.
1: Great. Thanks Amy. Great Thank to be with you. With you. Thanks.
2: Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.